Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Caizzi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So we've mentioned it here on the podcast a hundred times if we've mentioned it once. We, we've talked about it some, but today we're going to actually spend an entire episode talking in depth and taking a real good look at the threat of right-to-work legislation. But first, let's take a dive into the contract. So we received a question on our account this week asking about how we compute our vacation pay. So we're going to take you just through what categories we actually include and which ones we would exclude when we're doing that calculation. And it, as always, you can request a steward. They're happy to sit down with you. They run them all the time and you know they can show you exactly where the numbers are coming from. So gross earnings shall include all straight time pay, overtime pay, holiday pay, shift premiums and cost of living allowance when applicable. Any applicable wage grievance settlements the employee may have received during the period uh, it would also be included. Any manual checks like a retro for you know missed pay, that would be included. Funeral pay, jury duty, military leave pay, perfect attendance, and like I said before, cost of living. And it's important to note too, if you suffered a work comp injury, there's a formula to compensate you for the time that you're out on work comp. Um, so definitely get with your steward. Make sure that you were compensated correctly. Gross earnings would exclude any suggestion award money. Um, vacation pay is defined in sections 9.12, 9.13, and 9.14. Depending on how much time you have in the company, a portion of your previous year's vacation would be included in that calculation. Um, you also would not include personal day pay and short-term disability or long-term disability. Yeah, so um, it, it is a, a little bit complex, right? It's a little bit daunting for for the average employee to understand how to do that calculation with their with their calculator on their phone. Um, so, uh, to Jason's point, it is a really good idea to maybe get your steward involved and and ask those questions and try to figure that out. Um, I, and I know the question comes from a position of wanting to check the company, right, to make sure that they're doing the calculation correctly. And that's a good idea. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you absolutely it's, it's should. definitely a good idea because, as we all know, uh, the Lockheed Martin payroll department sucks, and um, we, we have to keep an eye on them. Yep. So um, let's get right into it, right? Let's talk about right to work. Um, the Freedom Foundation is a free market conservative think tank that is registered as a charitable organization. That we could probably spend an episode talking about that, um, that they are actually registered as a, a charitable organization because that's not what they are. Uh, but the organization's stated goal, if you go onto their website, is to, quote, liberate public employees from government unions through education, litigation, legislation, and community activation. Liberate. <laughs> yeah. yep. liberate, liberate people from unions. Yeah, and we're going to get into all of that, right? You're going to hear our opinions on this. This simply means that they're professional union busters, right? That's what they do. It's important to understand that the Freedom Foundation is one of the country's most prominent advocates for right-to-work legislation. They pour millions of their, quote, charitable donations into lobbying efforts for passage of right-to-work laws. This is what this foundation does. They fight against unions. They fight for right-to-work laws to be passed everywhere. So here's what the Freedom Foundation's website says about right-to-work, and I'm quoting. 
The United States Constitution protects an individual's right to free speech and association, which is violated when they are forced to subsidize a labor union or any private organization against their will. Thus, employees should be able to choose for themselves whether to pay union dues or fees. Right to work does just that and nothing more. Yeah, the one part they're leaving out, though, is that right to work forces a union to represent an employee who yeah, does not exactly. pay, doesn't pay for any of its yeah, services. Yes. And that's such a big part of the equation, right? right? If, if they could just put that into the mission statement yeah. as well. That's all. That's all they need to do. Let's be honest about what this is, right? It's, it's a law that it's almost correct, right? What they say is almost correct, except for what you said, Jason. It, that we are forced to represent these it, people. It empowers freeloaders, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and that's what we call it. We call it freeloading. So this is where we have a problem with this, right? We are forced as unions, and, and listen, unions are nonprofit organizations just like the Freedom Foundation, but we need money to do what we do. So it forces us to provide services for free. There's nowhere else in the United States that that happens. What business is forced by a law to provide services for free? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think having a union in place where, you know, people are working every day to improve and protect working conditions in a contract, that's something that, you know— it's an, an overhead cost, essentially. Right. Yeah. And when you allow someone to benefit, we're in a contract negotiation year, right? There's a ton of cost that goes in on the union side to make sure that you're prepared, to make sure that you're you know negotiating and getting the best contract you can. So people need to pay that aspect. You're getting better wages and benefits and workplace protection when you work in a union environment, even if you choose to be an agency fee payer. payer. Yeah. No question about it. I mean, let's face it. Right to work is designed to uh, bankrupt the union so they can't represent the workers. That's right. And, and listen, the Freedom Foundation talks all about that. They have a whole page on their website that dispels unions' arguments against right to work, right? And and when I say dispels, I know I'm on an audio podcast. I'm using air quotes, right? Because yeah. they're not really dispelling it. They're just twisting and distorting the truth, right? Yes, to their advantage. So that's the philosophy that all right-to-work advocates work from, right? It's you shouldn't have to be forced to pay union dues or fees that you don't want to pay. And, and that sounds great. And it might even be correct, but they're leaving that one piece out, right? Yeah. So advocates for right-to-work say that it's a constitutional freedom to disassociate yourself from a union by refusing to pay union dues and fees um, that support that union. But it's okay to force that organization to provide services for free. And that's okay. That's American. Yeah, I think our general president, Sean O'Brien, said it best when he compared it to AAA. It's like not having a AAA membership, yep. calling them up, and by law, they have to tow your vehicle. Right. And you don't have to pay for it. Right. Yeah, it's um, and I love that analogy. It's it's perfect. And where does it end? Like, let's extend that to car warranties too, right? All right, yeah. I didn't buy the warranty, but now I need a repair, so do it for free. Yeah, you have to do it for free. And this is coming from people that generally have conservative attitudes towards you know you don't get anything for free. Right. 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 The, the, you know, a free market society where you know businesses have the right to to charge so for their services. You shouldn't get represent representation for free either. Right. You shouldn't. You shouldn't get anything for free. And I mean, I, I well, 
that's a different conversation, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I guess I shouldn't say that because I do believe that we should be given some services, but nothing's free, right? We pay taxes yeah, sure. for for the fee for the the services that we get from the government, so it, it all costs money in the long run. So here's the thing: right to work laws don't actually afford anyone any rights that they don't already have. They only impose restrictions on unions, but they're painted as these laws, and and it's in the name, right to work. You know, they, listen, whoever named the law right to work is brilliant because it makes people think that it's this law that gives them rights as workers, and it doesn't. It's a lie. It They say that it gives you the right to disassociate from a union if you want to. But you already have that right. The federal law already prohibits forcing people from joining unions. It already does. So right to work isn't giving anybody any right that the federal law doesn't already give them, right? So the knee-jerk reaction for us, for me anyway, when I first heard about right to work, I said, well, why don't we just say, that's fine. Why don't we go to the courts and fight this legislation by saying, that's fine. We won't provide the services and you don't have to pay. But that's kind of counterproductive, right? That doesn't help us. Yeah, I think what we want to do is convince people that the services that unions provide are valuable and that, you know, becoming a full dues paying member sends the message to the employer that you believe, you know, in a strong union, in collective bargaining, and that you can negotiate, you know, a better contract collectively. 100%. That's what we need to be doing out there. We need to be organizing, right? Continually. And we've talked about it on this show before. We need to continually organize, even when we've already organized. We need to continue to organize to convince people that what we're doing is valuable, what we're doing helps them, and it's worth paying for. Yeah, and you've said it on prior episodes, but I think the focus, too, is we're not here to leech off anybody, and we're not a third party. We're here to grow the pie bigger and to take a bigger piece of the pie because we've earned it. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is the thing, and listen, I know that there are lousy unions out there, right? I know there are, just like there's lousy anything out there, right? There's lousy doctors, there's lousy whatever. But the philosophy of unionism is not anti-business, it's just not. No. And, and, and this is where it becomes offensive to me when these right-to-work advocates say that, right? That, that unions are these evil organizations who, are, who only exist to squeeze money out of companies that can't afford to pay the money. Yeah. And that's so wrong. If you listen to our principal officer, Rocco Kahlo, he says it time and time and time again. He says, I want to be a partner with this company, not an adversary. And he proves it by using his union power, his political connections to benefit the company, to make the company more prosperous. Because our philosophy is if the company's more prosperous, if the company has a bigger pie, then our piece of that pie is bigger. Yeah. Right? So we're not anti-business. We're just, we're pro-worker. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that we see a lot is we support our members in places where, hey, I'm not comfortable stamping out this operation or I'm, you know, I don't feel good about the way this is going. We represent every member's concerns. Yeah. And and that's I think that's what it boils down to. I don't think it's so much money, although everything's money to big business. But the control part of it is really what they're concerned with. And, right. you know, 
I think that's proven by the fact that, you know, the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts of the world spend billions of dollars to keep unions out of their their business, right? The same billions that they could just spend on improving workers' lives. Yeah. And and don't worry about busting the union. I don't understand it. Why do that? Right. Why do that? That's crazy. So like you said, we need to convince people out there that what we're doing is valuable and it's worth paying dues for. So for me, the bottom line is that while right-to-work laws are intended to weaken and even break unions, it's up to us to make that argument in favor of union membership, right? Right-to-work gives workers a choice to join or not to join. We need to convince them why they should join. And I think Uh, we do a good job of that here. Yeah, When you look at Alabama, when you look at uh, Florida, those are both right-to-work states, and we have, what, high 90% membership rates? I I think in Alabama we're at 100%. That's awesome. Yeah. In Florida we're close. So, yeah, it's amazing Uh, in right-to-work states where those folks, they get it. Right. And our Alabama members, the the folks that work at Sikorsky Aircraft in Troy, Alabama, are some of the highest paid hourly wage earners in the state of Alabama because they're in a union and they're in a good union and they get it right. They get that paying those dues comes back to them. One thing I want to highlight is that, especially with big business, money is behind this fight for for right to work. And uh, we didn't we didn't mention this organization yet, but I'm going to mention it. It's called the uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, which is backed by the Koch brothers, and they're a big pusher of right to work. Yeah, and they also, are. they have an offshoot called the American City County Exchange, which has actually pushed right to work in non right to work states, but at a local or county level where it makes that area right to work. Yep. Yeah, so, and listen, you know, we mentioned the Koch brothers, and and we're not looking to get political on this show, but we're just stating facts, right? The Koch brothers are probably the largest investors in the country um, in getting right-to-work laws passed, right? So bottom line is they're pouring billions of dollars into the effort to weaken our unions. It's just a fact. Take it for what you will. So let's talk about collective bargaining because I'm going to make an admission here. The right-to-work advocates love to claim that unions are wrong when they say that right-to-work laws destroy our ability to collectively bargain. And technically, they're right. It does not destroy our ability to collectively bargain. It destroys the effectiveness of our collective bargaining because it weakens us in that process, right? Because our numbers go down and unionism is a numbers game. Yeah, it creates a divided workforce. Yes. And and what they're hoping to do is kind of like cancer, you know, just start with a small amount and let it spread. spread. Yep. And listen, again, it's a numbers game. So employers know who's in the union and who's out of the union. Right. So and and that's what they base their bargaining on when they come to bargain with the union. If the union consists of 30 percent of the workforce, they're not afraid of that. Yeah, they're okay with 30 percent of the workforce going on strike. Sure. And on a larger level, it's just about assessing how strong the union is. You know, these are all varying degrees of that. So, you know, just as detrimental, you know, obviously a scab is the worst thing that you could be. 
but just as detrimental is <laughs> a member that sits in the shop and talks negatively about the union. You know, like Steve said, there's bad unions out there, but you either could get involved and try to make your union better, or you could sit there and bitch. Yeah, yep, exactly. Right? Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. You can like, either make a change, invest some of your time. No, nobody, everybody has a busy life, but right. you have to either make some time and be, you know, invested in it. But if you're divided or you show weakness, or you show, you know, oh, I would never strike. That's the worst thing that you could ever say. Worst thing. You know, nobody gets anything for free. You have to take it back. Yep. Yep. And listen, I'm okay with people having a problem with the union. You're in the union. You're paying dues. You have a problem with it. That's fine. But don't sit around the shop complaining about it. No. Come to the membership meeting, stand up on the floor, and and raise your concern. That's right. It's like somebody who, you know, watches the nightly news and yells and screams at their television about the politicians and then doesn't go out and vote on election day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we saw what the company did when they had leverage, right? They forced a two-tier system on us in the middle of a contract, threatening to take our work out of state. That's what they do when they have leverage. Right now, going into our contract, we have some leverage, right? We have massive contracts coming in. The future of our company is kind of teetering on, you know, executing on all these things. We have the leverage now. So we have to be united and we have to show that we're ready to walk. No question about it. Yes, we do. And we're coming with that leverage. You know, and you're you're 100% right. The company did what they did when they had leverage, and we're coming with ours. We know we have it, yeah. and we're coming. Yeah, so, nobody's going to turn around and say, here, we canceled two-tier because you asked. Yeah, right. right? We're, we're going to have to fight every step of the way. Yep. And it's going to be a battle, I think, over many years. Yeah. I agree. But if we're not united, that's going to be the killer. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what collective bargaining is all about, right? It's about us all being united. So let's go back to right to work. Let's be honest about the arguments that they make. These advocates also say that that we're wrong in our assertion that right to work strips us of our collective bargaining rights. and, And that's actually technically true, like I mentioned. So right to work doesn't strip that right, but it it weakens that process. That's the intent. That's what they want to do with these laws, right? They want to weaken us um, at the bargaining table. So collective bargaining is like, it's like a tug of war. The bigger your team, the stronger you are. So right to work inherently weakens our bargaining position by shrinking our numbers. That's what it does. We have a we have a, a smaller team and we're losing that tug of war. Yes. And the numbers bear it out, right? In in right to work states. We'll talk later about the numbers because the numbers are sometimes kind of shocking in right to work states. So in a right to work state, workers in the bargaining unit have the choice to join or not to join. They also have the choice not to pay a non-member fee for services provided if they don't want to. That's the most important thing to talk about because if you don't join a union, you don't have to pay dues. That's already the law. That's the law in every state. Doesn't the law also, uh, right to work law, doesn't also make it hard? So basically the employer can't deduct automatic check off. off. They can't deduct the dues from from uh, somebody's paycheck, they you have to actually pay it to the right. union directly. Right, and that just makes it harder, too, because yeah. who wants to go to the union hall once a month to yeah. pay their dues? Well, lucky if you have an app like ours, we could actually pay our dues through the app if, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. if we needed to. Yeah. But luckily, we don't. Yeah, we don't. Uh, so, again, collective bargaining is that numbers game, right? Strength is in our numbers. Um, so when we, we bargain with just 50% of the workforce or 30% of the workforce, we're not strong. 
exactly. And we would be much stronger when we have 90%, like we do at Local 1150, right? And Jason, you said it before, we're, we're a good benchmark for other unions. And it's taken a long time, but we've proven to our members in those right-to-work states that it's worth it. So we're proof that if unions work hard enough and get that message out there and bargain good contracts— it's going to make a difference. Absolutely. So I think it's on us, right? Yes. Do I think that we need to go out there and push for killing right-to-work laws and legislating them out? We do. Yeah, we definitely do because they're bad laws. But if they exist and if they're going to continue to exist, we need to do something else. We need to think outside of the box and and not stop fighting against those laws, but do other things in concert with fighting against those laws. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt we have to do everything we can, but trying to get as many legislative changes in place that allow us to form unions, protect unions, you know, preserve working conditions. You know, we talk about Starbucks a lot, but so far since uh, the start of late last year or the end of late last year, 233 Starbucks locations have voted to unionize. Only three have made it to a bargaining table. Mm. So it's just, you know, everything that they do is just trying to prevent. We yep. need things passed like the PRO Act because the PRO Act would basically abolish right to work. Yeah, the PRO Act would abolish right to work and right to work is what we're talking about. But the PRO Act would also make it law that those companies come to the bargaining table. Yes, so they ha- they'll have to. That's a big deal. And and it just shows, right? What you just said, Jason, just shows that these folks are all about just thumbing their nose at the union and doing everything they can to keep the union out, even after the union is voted in. And the CEO says, we're going to we're going to recognize the will of the employees. You know, we right. we believe in their choice. But when they choose, the CEO thumbs his nose at them again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty disgusting. You look at a state like Alabama, though, right-to-work state, fiercely anti-union state. They hate unions down there, but we've got 100% membership. Yeah. And a lot of our members up here might not remember, especially new members. They went on strike down there years ago. They fought. Yep, 2001. And they have some of the best wages in the state. Yeah, they do. Right? And again, that's proof, right? So it doesn't take an agency fee to compel people down there, right? We've done the work. We've done the hard work. We can't collect the agency fee. But the agency fee does have a purpose, right? It really is designed, yes, we, we say that it's charging money for our services, and it is. It legitimately is us charging money for the services that we provide. However, I think the underlying reason to charge an agency fee is to compel people to become full dues-paying members. If I have to pay 82% of the full dues rate anyway— I might as well just join the union. Exactly. Right? So it's something that we're allowed to do in in a lot of states, and we do it trying to convince people to just go ahead and become full dues-paying members. Yeah. I think if there was more transparent information about the benefit unions provide and less lying by you know these big yeah. organizations that are yeah. fueled by corporate America, yep. um, like if you actually got into the real numbers, in right-to-work states, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission receives 36% more discrimination charges than union-friendly states. Wow. Um, I'm sure I don't have OSHA numbers. I'm sure they're much higher in a lot of those states as well. Uh, right to work states, 25.9% of jobs in low wage occupations compared to 16.5% in union friendly states. So mm. earnings across the board, 
Um, when right to work laws are passed, workers pay drops an average of 3.1% in that state. Damn. So we always make the argument that unions help set the, you know, raise the tide for all wage earners. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. That's why we're under attack. <laughs> yeah. Um, the average right to work state, the average worker makes $5,971 less than the average worker in a union friendly state. That's a 12.2% difference. Holy cow. So, that, what about like household income? Yeah, median household income in right to work states is 11.8% lower, which is $6,568 um, versus in a union friendly state. $49,220 versus the uh, $55,788. Wow. And the poverty rate in right-to-work states is 2% higher than on average in the rest of all the union-friendly states. Wow. And and we'll talk some more numbers, but the advocates of right-to-work, they love to hammer us on our numbers, too. You know, like, what does that have to do with right-to-work legislation? It's got everything to do with right-to-work legislation. Um, you know, we talk about how much money right-to-work states put into public education. Yeah. And in right-to-work states, it's less money into public education than in union-friendly states. That matters, right? It has everything to do with right-to-work legislation because right-to-work drives wages down, so it drives taxes down, right? Yeah. Or not, not taxes, but it drives tax revenue down. Yeah. And yeah. there's less money to spend on things like education. Well, that's why... In <laughs> That's why in Florida they're offering veterans or their spouse to teach with absolutely no certifications. Incredible, right? I mean, we're literally degrading education across our country. Yep. Um, but you could cherry pick any benefit you want and pretty much find a statistic. 16.3% of people in right-to-work states have no health insurance. In a union-friendly state, that's about 12.4%. So 4% difference there. Um, pensions are 4.8% less common in right-to-work states than union-friendly states. Um, workplace fatalities, 54% higher in right-to-work states. Wow. So let, hang, let's stop on that one and think about it, because that has everything to do with right-to-work. Yeah. yeah. Right? The existence of unions makes your job safer. Yeah. And the benefits, right? So here's another daunting one. If you ever want to start a family, infant mortality rates are 14.2% higher in right to work states. Wow. So, you know, having good benefits and yeah, uh, right to work laws also reduce union membership by about 20%. Damn. And there it is, right? Yeah. That's, that's the reason why yeah. we're so where we are. If you can erode union membership by 20%, you can become a business friendly state. Yep. Congratulations. Congrats. So businesses, local economy, they suffer as well. So businesses are actually working against themselves when they think that it's a great idea to pour money into right-to-work legislation. All that stuff suffers as well. When workers can't afford to pay bills, they can't spend money at the grocery store, yep. they can't spend money at the gas pump or in local businesses, um, and or, or even afford to buy a home. Right. We right. end up with people on social services, yep. food, you know, food stamps, subsidizing yep. big business. Yep. Yep. So bottom line, if these politicians, these business leaders and so-called worker advocates actually cared about workers like they claim, the numbers just don't bear that out, right? The numbers that we just talked about don't bear that out. If you care about workers, why in a right-to-work state are workers suffering more? 
I don't get it. Especially but businesses are doing okay. Yeah. And if businesses are doing better, then why not reinvest in the worker? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, we know why. That's the age-old question, right? I think we've been asking that question in this country or in the world forever. Well, you know the workers are what lead to your profit. So you could reinvest in the worker and increase their longevity. Or like Amazon, you just try to churn, churn, churn and replace, replace, replace. But, you know, yeah, we're not robots. Yeah. So that's my question to folks. And shoot us an email at comms at teamsters1150.org if you're listening to this and you're an advocate of right-to-work laws. My question to you is, why would you advocate for laws that weaken unions when union workers are so much better off than their non-union counterparts, right? Why would you do that? If you claim to be a worker advocate, why would you do that? Yeah, and when you think about the cost of union dues, union workers on average earn 11.2% more than non-union. So do your dues equate to 11% of your wages? No way. Right? Nope. So it pays for itself. It does. So these laws disproportionately affect minorities as well because unions disproportionately help minorities, right? So union women on average earn about 150 bucks a week more than non-union women across the country. Hispanic and Latino union members earn 45% more than non-Hispanic and Latino workers. And then African-Americans who are in unions earn 30% more than African-Americans who are not in unions. So again, why? Why would you advocate for a set of laws that takes that away? So what can we do? What can we do more than what we're doing now? I mean, what we could do is is support politicians, regardless of party, that support unions and that are against right to work. Right. There are Republicans who are against right to work. Well, a good there, example. There are. A good example is New Hampshire, where the Republican Party has a trifecta, and every time they bring right to work up for a vote, it, the unions turn out in mass, and they're able to turn the tide and have yep. them get them to vote against it. Yeah. Our action, it works. We need to get out there and we need to talk to the politicians. So I know that people who listen to this podcast, people who know me know what my personal politics are, right? We don't bring politics here to this podcast because we know that our membership is kind of split down the middle on, on in the political arena. So so we're not trying to make our members mad, right, by expressing certain opinions, All I'm going to say is this. If you're a Republican, you vote Republican, and you're a union member, call those people who you are inclined to vote for, write them a letter, send them an email, and say, listen, I'm a Republican, I like voting Republican, but I need you to oppose right-to-work legislation. Yeah, yeah. I think leaning on any politician, regardless of your party, to be pro-worker is, you know, what we need. Absolutely. We can't just sit around and do nothing, though. Right. Because they're not sitting around doing nothing right now. There are 29 states who have right to work laws. Twenty nine out of the 50 states have have right to work laws. The Freedom Foundation, which we've already talked about, which is one of the biggest pushers of right to work legislation. Last year, they announced a national expansion. So they currently have offices in Washington, Oregon, California, Pennsylvania and Ohio but they're coming to every state. Their stated intention is to open offices and have a presence in every single state in the United States. 
They're only in a handful right now, but they're coming to your state. Well, the funny thing is, is the states where they are, none of them are right-to-work states. Exactly. They don't need to be in right-to-work states anymore. So they're coming to your state, and we need to actively fight this legislation and the groups who support it so that we can preserve what we have. I don't care if you're a Republican, an independent, or a Democrat. If, if you are a union member and you like the stuff that you're getting because of the union, which I don't understand if you don't like it, yeah. you need to do something to preserve it. We can't sit around and assume that we're always going to have it. Because if Connecticut goes right to work, it's going to make it harder. Yeah, it is. So the bottom line with the agency fee in right to work states, they make that agency fee illegal. And it's, it's the core of their effort because they know you go, to the, you go to the Freedom Foundation's website and they talk all about, hey, this is about disassociating yourself from an organization that you don't want to be a part of, right? That's what it's about. If you don't believe in unions, you can disassociate yourself from unions. That's bullshit. That's not what this is about. This is about busting unions, and the way they do it is to tell workers, hey, you can save some money. You can save 70 bucks a month. You can save 100 bucks a month. Yeah. That's what our law does for you. You can save some money, and you can free ride on the union. You can still get services from the union, but you can get them for free if you just sign up for Right to Work. That's what it's all about. Yeah. It's all about fooling people and lying to people. Yeah. Well, I think more lucrative than the money is they're playing on the idea of freedom and the idea that we're infringing on people's freedom of choice. You know, if you're free to make the choice to earn less money, if you really want to, you know, go against everybody you work with all the time and bargain for less. Yeah. I mean, and listen, it's the mantra across the country, right? All of us, the unions all say, you know, it should be called right to work for less, not right to work, because it's true. It is true. You know, you look at the numbers, wages and benefits are lower in right to work states than they are in union friendly states. So again, we need to fight this stuff. Um, If these organizations are left unchecked, Um, they're going to come here to these states that they're not already in, and they're going to make change, right? They're going to convince people that this is good stuff because they have money to do it, and they're going to inundate you with advertisements on television and everything else. And something else we should should mention that goes along with this, and and we're being attacked on all sides because if— If you remember in 2018, the Janus decision, which basically made the whole country right to work for the public sector. So they're looking to do that again with the private sector. Yep. So that's why I think a hard push for the PRO Act is so important because they're coming for the private sector to make us the whole country right to work and try to stamp out unions. As you can see by looking at what's going on in the country, uh, I mean, unions are really starting to pick up Yep. and they're... Uh, the corporations are really are getting itchy to do something. So. We have work to do. Yes, because, we have a lot of work and, to do. And listen, again, at the risk of getting political, there's an absolutely good chance that in this year's election cycle, the federal government can swing to the Republicans, right? The House and the Senate. We can argue about that if we want, right? But there is a chance of that happening. I'm not saying it's good or bad, right? All I'm saying is, again, to the folks who who vote Republican, if you're voting Republican, you need to let your candidates know that, hey, your constituents are union members. 
Some of your constituents, like me, are union members, and I don't agree with these laws. And you need to not pass these laws. Yeah, we need to do it all around, yeah. right? Just like we stayed on the Democrats back when TPP was a thing. Yep, you know, no question. We, no matter what side you're on, you got to advocate for the worker Absolutely. first. Yep. Don't just cast a vote and say, I'm going to agree with everything that that party does. I don't agree with everything that certain parties do. Sure. So, you know, we we have to fight for what we believe in. So let's make sure we do that because I'm going to tell you, if they pass a federal right to work law, we're in big trouble. Yeah. And, you know, the majority of states became right to work states back between like 1944 and 1958. Um, And there have been a few pushes after that, you know, a few little bursts. But the big bursts happened in the early 2000s, 2010. Um, since 2001, six states have adopted right-to-work laws. So, you know, six out of 50. And, and yep. big union strongholds, too, like Michigan, yeah. where had the largest lot of union workers at one time. Yep. Wisconsin. Really, the Rust Belt. Yes. Yeah, a lot of swing states yeah. for votes. And, you know, six out of 50 is 12%. Um, Missouri. But then they put it to a vote, and the, the voters knocked it down. But now the state legislature is still trying to shove it down everyone's throat. So I'm talking to the folks in Alabama and Florida, too. Make sure you're letting your politicians know that you're not okay with these laws in your state and you want them overturned. Just because the law exists in your state today doesn't mean it can't be overturned. So that effort has to continue to happen. We need to not just prevent more states from becoming right to work, but we need to overturn. We need to push the tide back. Yes, we do. Right? Okay, so that's it, right? Take action. Don't sit around and be quiet about it. Take action. So we have some upcoming events, right? What's going on? What's coming up? The big one's our membership meeting. It's our first one back after the summer shutdown. So it's a little bit of a long one. We go through the financials. You got to bear with them. Yep. Every membership meeting is not that long and boring, but it's going to be important. I'm sure we're going to have a contract update and, you know, other Updates from- yeah, there's no doubt we're going to talk about the negotiations. Negotiations should be starting fairly soon, um, probably soon after that membership meeting. So, yep, so, so come, September on, 21st, come on down. Yep, September 21st, 1 and 4 o'clock. And as always, we're going to have a food truck for yes. you. So come on down and get lunch, grab some merchandise. We have T-shirts for sale, sweatshirts, everything like that. And if you can't make it down, you can always get the Zoom links and uh, watch online. Yep. And just so everybody understands, if you're a new member, the food truck is free. The right. F- you you eat the food, we pay for the food. So come on down and enjoy a free meal, and it's, and it's good stuff, too. I know that I always get excited about the food truck, um, but it is really good. Yeah. So what's going on out there in um, labor activity, Vinny? So we have some action with the Chipotle workers. So Chipotle workers in Lansing, Michigan, voted to unionize on August 25th by a vote of 11 to 3 to join Teamsters Local 243. Yes, Chipotle. is. Now I have to go back to Chipotle if they're Teamsters. Well, one of them is. Hopefully more will be. All right. So one of the workers... uh, Somebody's been working... And I believe he was... uh, Had a lot to do with organizing. Harper McNamara said that um, one of the big reasons that he decided to push to unionize was pay scheduling and treatment from management. My God, it's like a broken record. Yeah, yeah, right? it's like the same in every workplace. Yeah. Uh, what made the uh, workers go with the Teamsters? They had actually 
and made a list of unions they were talking to and actually some totally never got back to them you know like told turned them down and uh one of the organizers uh, roommate said oh well the teamsters are a fighting union maybe you should look into them and on a whim they they stopped at the uh, local 243 hall and they were welcomed with open arms and uh they got that that organizing drive really rolling so that's a message right to anybody out there who's thinking about forming a union in your workplace don't overlook the Teamsters. Yeah, absolutely. Right? The team, we, we represent workers in just about every industry you can imagine. You name an occupation, uh, we probably represent workers in that occupation. So don't overlook us. Yep. Uh, Communication Workers of America is launching a $500,000 national media campaign against Frontier Communications for using contract contractor labor rather than their own company's employees to build out their fiber optic uh internet network which here in connecticut that that's been been a big thing that they're working on and anybody who has frontier knows oh join our new fiber optic uh, network so uh union officials from uh cwa's local 1298 in hamden uh are making this push and they're saying that they use contractors that don't have the skill or dedication to the to company like our our members do said dave uh weidlich from local 1298 internet service is becoming impo- important to this country as any other utility they're trying to do it on the cheap and the that where mistakes were uh, occur because the quality of the work just isn't as, isn't as good as the union members can do. Huh. Frontier has the u- the wor- workforce to do it. Uh, in 2014, Frontier had 2,200 workers employed in the state of Connecticut, and now it's down to 1,500. And these are all workers that know how to make that change over. Huh. That that sounds like a familiar thing, right? Yeah, Using contractors real, to sounds, do our work. It sounds real familiar. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Maybe maybe the folks in that run the facilities department are listening to this podcast Hopefully. today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you uh, Amazon loses its bid to to scrap the Staten Island vote. So they went before the NLRB trying to get the vote thrown out in uh, Staten Island, New York, where, uh, I mean, the big organizing that happened during the spring that yep. in, in the vote for the union. On September 1st, Lisa Dunn, the agency officer who handled the, the company's case, concluded Amazon's objection should be entirely overruled and the union should be certified as the bargaining representative for the warehouse. So good for Amazon for losing that one and good yeah. for the union especially. Yeah, right. Good old Amazon. And I think the big one, and this kind of ties into what we were talking about on the on the the main topic, is the opinion of unions is at a 57-year high in the United States. 71% of Americans now approve of labor unions, up from last year's 68%. Hmm. Union support is also up from 64% before the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is the highest that that was the highest point since 1964. Support for unions was at its highest in the 1950s, when uh, three in four American workers approved of labor organizations. And and that's awesome. Again, I'm just waiting for the day when that translates into a significant increase in union membership across the country. I think it's coming. I think it's coming too. Um, I'm a notoriously impatient person, so I'm having a little bit of difficulty waiting for it. But as they say, Rome was not built overnight. Yeah. Is that what they say? Yeah, I think so. It was in a day. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh. Hey, close enough, Vinny. (laughs) 
It's like a screen door on a battleship. <laughs> Make like a tree and get out of here. Oh, my God. So, um, so as always, uh, we're going to end our episode with a quote from somebody famous about labor, right? So what do we got, sure. Manny? In our glorious fight for civil rights, we must guard against being fooled by false slogans, such as right to work. It is a law to rob us of our civil rights and job rights. Its purpose is to destroy labor unions and collective bargaining, and that was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Awesome. So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was on top of the right to work thing a long time yeah, ago. Exactly. That's that's pretty awesome. So so that'll do it for today, right? That'll do it for this episode. And as always, we appreciate everybody listening and downloading. Uh, if you're not following the 10 to 12 podcast, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow us. Remember to email us. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We're okay with criticism. Let us know if you hate it. Let us know if you love it. Just tell us why you hate it or love it. Um, you can email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. Thanks again for being with us. And I'm Stephen French. I'm Benny Kaitzi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. Until next time, we'll see you. <laughs>